Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Well, good morning, Grant Memorial. Welcome to church today. My name is Cam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today, uh, we find ourselves in week two of our series within a series on giving. Right? We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark for nearly a year, and the text we encountered last week in our study led us into a conversation on giving that I believe is, a, uh, is more than a one-week conversation. And so we're, we've hit pause to discuss well this uh, often neglected topic. You see, as a church, talking about money, talking about giving is not that comfortable, is it? It's certainly not our M.O. here. But when the text brings us there, it's important that we unpack well what the Bible teaches about the spiritual discipline of giving. And so last week, uh, we started our discussion by rethinking the concept of ownership in general, learning that the scriptures tell us that we aren't really the owners of what we have, but rather we are simply uh, stewards or managers of what God has entrusted to us, right? God has given us everything that we have for a time to use well for his kingdom. And so, so everything from our time to our talents to our treasure is best used when it is offered back fully to God and spent in a way that honors him and serves his purposes, right? From the, from the home that we live in to the food we put on the table, we want to be people who remember God and use it all for his glory, And today, we're going to talk specifically about giving as it pertains to financially supporting the work of the church. Friends, biblical stewardship, Christian generosity is so much more than simply placing money in the proverbial offering plate at church, right? As we've discussed, it involves every area of our lives. However, The Bible consistently teaches that giving to the church, giving to the faith community that you are a part of to support its work and its workers is an important and essential aspect of of giving in the life of God's people. In Deuteronomy 16, 16 to 17, we read, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Psalm 96, 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Second Chronicles 31, 4-5 says, He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And this sentiment continues in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul saying, Do you not know that those who were employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. You see, from beginning to end, from Old Testament to New Testament, those within the family of God are both encouraged and commanded to share in the work of God by bringing a portion of what they have been given to support the work of their faith community. Right? This is done so that the work will be financed, that the workers may focus on what they have been tasked with, 
and that all God does will be seen as a partnership of the entire community, all participating together for the cause of Christ. Right? A part of being a good steward, according to the scriptures, is to participate in the work of the church through giving. Now, for those of you who have grown up in church, you may already know this practice of giving to the church as tithing, right? This concept of tithing, which brings us to the first of three questions that we're going to start this morning off with. What is a tithe? Right? What, what is this word, right? What does that mean? What, what is a tithe? Now, as we briefly outlined last week, if you were here, the word tithe literally means one of ten, right? Or one-tenth, or ten percent. And this concept developed as a command by God to his people to bring ten percent of what they had, livestock, crops, etc., to the tabernacle or to the temple and offer it to the Lord. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my temple. Numbers 18.21 says, I give to the Levites, the priests, all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. Now, in order to ensure that 10% was given and to help God's people worship God with their offerings, God's people were, were not only commanded to tithe, but they were to give their tithes first before they spent anything else. As Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Nehemiah 10.35, We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Right? The, the tithes were not about giving God what they had left over after their bills were paid, after they were taken care of. The, the tithes were about giving God what was his first. It was an act of worship, giving God their first and their best because he is worthy of it. And it was an act of trust that God would provide for them out of what was remaining. And so throughout Israel's history, God's people followed tithing as a rule, regularly bringing the first 10% of what they had harvested, produced, or made to the place of worship as an act of worship, submission, and partnership with God. So that's what a tithe is. Now, just as an aside for, uh, for those who are interested, if we are to be technical, the tithe that we are talking about today is actually only one of three tithes that the Israelites took part in regularly. Uh, this was known as the first tithe, the tithe off the top, which were brought uh, specifically to the place of worship. But there was also a second tithe, which was another 10% put aside annually for a celebratory feast or meal to be eaten within Jerusalem when a family would travel there uh, close to every other year. And they would share this meal with the Levites, the priests in the city and uh, along the way. And then there's a third tithe known as the poor tithe that the Israelites were commanded to give. And this was a tithe, 10%. Given every three years, specifically to care for the poor, for the orphans, widows, and foreigners, along with those who had given their lives for service in the temple. Right? You can read about uh, these other tithes in Deuteronomy 14, among other places. 
And so while, while 10% is what tithe literally means, for the record, giving for the Israelites was more like 23.3% annually when the second and third tithes are accounted for. And, and that's to say nothing about offerings or gifts, which brings us to our second question this morning. What is the difference between tithes and offerings? Right? Are those the same thing? Is there a difference? The Bible talks about being generous and giving offerings. In fact, we often hear these words, tithes and offerings, spoken of in the same breath. You're to bring your tithes and offerings. But it's important to note that they are not one and the same. Tithes and offerings are different. Uh, Well-known Christian financial expert Dave Ramsey uh, outlines the difference between tithes and offerings. He says, a tithe is a specific amount, 10% of the income, that you give first to the church. And, And an offering is something extra that you give beyond that. After you've tithed and paid all your bills and expenses for the month, you can use any extra money in your budget to give more. This can look like giving a cash offering to your church above and beyond your normal tithe, giving money to a charity you support, giving to a friend in need, or giving your time and skills by volunteering. You see, one of the misunderstandings, I think, in the church today when it comes to giving is that that I can give my tithes anywhere, right? That if I give to a cause or to a missionary or if I give at work or if I'm hospitable at home, then I don't need to give to the church. That that gifts and offerings and tithes are are just interchangeable. But, But that's not the biblical teaching on tithing, right? The first tithe is a regular consistent gift to the faith community out of the first fruits of what we have as a regular act of obedience, trust, and worship. And while we are called to be generous in all of the other areas of our lives, to respond to the needs around us, global crises and special projects, we do not steal from the church, we do not steal from the first tithe in order to do so. Look at what Deuteronomy 12, 5 to 6 says. You're to seek the place of the Lord, your God, that he will choose among all of the tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. That, to that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Did you pick up the variety of gifts in this passage? Right? The tithes are different than special gifts of generosity. The tithes are different than free will offerings or what, what they have decided to give on their own. So when it comes to giving to the faith community, the, the first fruits are to be given to God and we are to seek to be generous out of what we have left beyond the first fruits. There are tithes and there are offerings. The next question regarding tithing is, Does tithing still apply today? If you have ever spent much time pondering this concept of tithing, you've likely come across all sorts of opinions on this. Considering that that much of the biblical teaching on tithing is in the Old Testament, and we don't still follow all of the Old Testament commands, is tithing then one of those things that doesn't apply to us anymore? Is this a command that was for days gone by, just like commands not to mix certain fabrics with one another? Now, just to make sure that the answer to this question is both fuzzy and confusing, let me say both yes and no. Tithing is and is not still expected of the church today. Now, you can turn to your neighbor 
and say, this guy confuses me. That's, that's okay. I'm all right with that. Let me expand on this answer. Yes, the biblical mandate to give to the work of the church and to trust God by giving him a portion of what he has given us is still in effect. But no, the command to give exactly 10% as a rule is no longer a requirement. Okay, did you catch the difference? While we are still called to give to the mission of the church, there is no specific number that is required of us. Now, right off the top, uh, church, let me be clear about this. Giving is not a legalistic necessity for salvation. Okay? There is no sum of money that you can give or that you can withhold that will change the love that God has for you or will adjust the level of grace that he has extended to you through Christ's death on the cross. Giving is not a requirement for salvation. And we are no longer under the letter of the Old Testament law, which laid out a 10% tithe to the faith community right off the top. As Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not buy our way into heaven, nor do we pay for our righteousness. Christ has paid for that in full. Unlike uh, some traditions within Christianity throughout history that have taught, uh, we cannot pay to absolve our sin. Right? We just can't. We cannot buy our way into a different eternal reality. And we cannot control God and his blessing in our lives by giving more. God is still God. He is still gracious and loving and good and sovereign no matter what we do or don't do. No matter what we say or don't say, no matter what we give or don't give. Now, with that being said, this gracious God who demands nothing in return from us, invites us, and in a way expects us to join him in his work in the world. Advancing the gospel, caring for the poor, ministering to his people by contributing to to the local church that we are a part of. You see, when they talk about giving, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul don't talk about giving like it's optional, right? There's an expectation that those in the church do, in fact, give to the work of the church. Jesus uses language like, when you give, not if you give, Matthew 6. And Paul uses language like, decide what to give, not decide if you give, 2 Corinthians 9. Right? Well, the tithe, 10% specifically, as a requirement, no longer applies. Those who desire to follow the Lord are not really given the option to just not give at all. The question today is not an if question, but a to what extent question. As Matthew uh, 6, in, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, he says, Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Right? Which simply means... We spend on that which we love, and we love that which upon we spend, right? He's saying that, that while we're not being judged according to what we give, our hearts do prove themselves by where we put our money, to whom and to what we give what we have. Or simply, those who love and value Christ and his mission desire to join him in that mission 
and they put their money where their heart is. So for anyone here who breathed a sigh of relief a little bit ago, as I said, hey, there's no number required to give, you may want to put that on hold for a second because the invitation that God gives us, not a requirement, but the invitation he gives us may be much more significant than if 10% was still required. First of all, uh, as we discussed last week, we are invited to give everything to God and not simply regular gifts to the church, which means that, that we can't compartmentalize in our lives what we have into uh, what we give to God and what we keep for ourselves, right? We need to see it as all his and hold all of it with open hands. And then secondly, it seems that in nearly every other place where Jesus changes um, or addresses changes in the law, he seems to up the ante from the Old Testament and not soften the calling on his people. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about several items of the law, including murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, justice, and love. And in each instance, he points out what the law says, and he responds But I say, before increasing his expectations of the faithful when it comes to his kingdom, right? So he says, you have heard it said, right? The law says, don't murder, but I say, right? And then he goes on to say, don't even think about someone poorly, right? If you call someone an idiot, that's actually the original Greek translation. Don't say raka, which is the word idiot. But if you call someone an idiot, you have murdered them in your heart is what he says, Right? So, so do not murder becomes, don't even think poorly of someone. Or do not commit adultery becomes do not even lust. Love your neighbor becomes love your enemy as well. And so on. And so when it comes to giving, we can be sure that if anything, Jesus doesn't lower the bar, but he calls us to willingly do more than the law determined. You can be sure that, that Jesus did not say, you've heard it said, give a tithe to God, but I say don't give anything. Right? No, that's not the way that Jesus teaches in any context. In fact, from his other teachings, we actually know what that conclusion of that sentence would have been. You've heard it said, give 10%, but I say give everything to God because it all belongs to him. Right? So while the law does not save us. And so we're not bound by the law and we're not uh, holding up a certain percentage and doing the math and bound by that. The new covenant that replaces the law invites us into much more than simply following the bare minimum of the law. While the letter of the law is not a requirement, God's people are still to live within the spirit of the law. Right? The new covenant invites us to give our entire lives and all we have along with it to God's kingdom. And an important part of that is regular giving to the church. Now, I know that there are some uh, here who would much rather just be told, how much should I give? Right? What, is, what does it actually say? How much should I, is it 10%? Is it more? Is it less? Give me a number. Well, while I can't give you a specific number to land on, I do think that 10%, a literal tithe, is a great place to start the conversation. Partially because a percentage takes income into consideration rather than giving just a number that we all uh, in our different places need to live up to, right? For some, 10% may be a great fit for you, a wonderful habit to develop in teeming with what God is doing. But for others, 10% may be too high. 
right? In that your necessities take up more than 90% of your income. Now notice I said necessities, not all of your wants and luxuries. But if you are on a fixed income, right? Or if you're a student and you've got student loans and you cannot give 10% without incurring more debt or causing personal harm, don't give 10%. Give what you can and be blessed in doing so. You are free from the letter of the law. But there are others for whom 10% is too low to, to accomplish what God desires to do in us and through us as we give. You see, the issue is less of a financial issue than it is a spiritual one, right? Giving is actually an issue of the heart. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, right? Not with that calculator and the law assumptions. For God loves a cheerful giver, right? If, if your heart's desire is to give as little as you possibly can, right? It, I want to give the bare minimum, right? What does the Bible say? And I'm just going to like scrape on by. We, you already know where your heart is, right? If this is a baseline discussion, that tells you about your heart, or if your heart is to give as much as you possibly can, that too is a good indicator of where your heart is. I, I, I remember um, I, I had an uncle who we would regularly challenge him about giving too much. Can you imagine that? Now, he may not have been the wisest money manager, but I can certainly tell you where his heart was. And from what I know of the scriptures, God knew where his heart was as well. And so while I can't give you a number that works well for all of us, um, I do think that the Bible shares some principles for us to consider as we ask the question, what is it that I can and should give off the top? All right? And so I'm going to uh, share four principles to consider that, that may inform your thought process as you, you determine what faithful giving looks like for you. What the first tithe looks like in your life. And so the first principle is that faithful giving is consistent, right? Faithful giving is consistent. To start, giving faithfully requires us to actually give, right? And, and this giving is not simply on a whim or when we remember or when we happen to be in town from the lake, no, faithful giving is just that. It is faithful. It is regular. It is a habit. It is premeditated and consistent. It's a part of your budget sheet. C can you imagine if you paid your mortgage inconsistently? Right? When you remembered, or when you felt like it, when you had a little extra lying around. Right? That wouldn't fly very well, would it? No, we, we pay our bills regularly, and so in the same way, we should bring our tithes to the Lord regularly. There's a, a passage in the book of Malachi, which I wish we had more time to explore, in which God addresses his people when they fell out of the habit of faithful giving. Listen to this passage in Malachi 3, 8 to 10. In fact, it was the verse that was up as we started this morning. So this is what God says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my temple. Now, this passage is intense, and it goes much deeper than this. But for our purposes this morning, this small section will need to suffice. You see, God here, through the prophet Malachi, addresses the Israelites, telling them that withholding tithes, or even a portion of their tithes, not giving to God what is rightfully his is in effect robbing God. Right? He tells them, stop keeping for yourselves what God has asked for from you. Right? He, he says, if you're not giving me what I have asked, what is mine, you are not just robbing the temple, you are in fact robbing me. And church, this, this applies to our context as well. When we cling to what we have and do not offer any of it back to God to be used expressly for his purposes through his church, we are actually robbing him. Now, we're not robbing him in the sense that he needs our money, right? Like that he would experience lack because of it, right? God doesn't need anything. But we're robbing him in the sense that we are spending what is his on ourselves, Right, That which should be used for worship of God or the advancement of his love through the nations and the ministry of the gospel is being used for personal comfort and the pursuit of individual happiness. Right? When we don't give faithfully to God, we're actually spending what belongs to him on ourselves. And church, when we look at this through the lens of the North American church, It is absurd how much is being withheld from God by those who claim to follow and serve him. According to the latest research, less than 3% of those who claim to be followers of Christ give to the church. Think about that. Of all those who say, I'm a Christian, I believe I'm a follower of Jesus, less than 3% give to the church. And of that 3%, the average amount given is 2.5% of their income. So 3% of Christians giving 2.5% of their income, I'd say we have a robbing God problem in North America, wouldn't you? Now let's just put some skin on that for a second for those who like to crunch numbers. If we use the tithe as a baseline, right, 10%, which could be arguably low in our North American context. But let's just use a 10% tithe as the baseline. If everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ were to bring the whole tithe, if they were to simply give 10%, do you know how much more the church would have at their disposal to do ministry? Any guesses? $140 billion every single year. Wrap your head around that. The church in North America is robbing God to the tune of $140 billion annually. Can you imagine the ministry that could happen with $140 billion? Right? If even a fraction of that money was spent well, can you imagine the gospel impact? The missionaries that could be fully supported. David Robbins was in the first service and I asked him just off the cuff, you know, how many, how many church planters could we support in India? And he said millions, right? Millions of church planters. 
right? How many social programs for the poor could we as the church implement? Think of the biblical justice initiatives, the capacity for outreach, right? Just think, churches could dream, right? Churches could spend their time dreaming of how to spend their abundance for the gospel rather than having to spend their time slashing line items to make up for budget shortfalls, Now, I know that Grant Memorial is a minuscule portion of that pie, but, and I haven't done the math, what do you think we could do in terms of drive-through meals, outreach events, caring well for our global missionaries, blessing our inner city partners, discipling our students, if we all brought the whole tithe? or for some, any tithe at all. You see, faithful giving means actually giving, first of all. And it means giving consistently, setting up a habit, developing a discipline of giving, right? Whether that's every week or every month or year or every commission or every sale, whatever it is, and however much it is, depending on what you determine in your heart to give to God. May we, church, never be a people who God can accuse of robbing him. Let's give consistently to the one to whom we owe everything and to whom it all belongs anyway. Next, faithful giving is primary. So faithful giving is consistent and faithful giving is primary. You see, just like the Israelites, giving should be the first thing that we do with our money, not the last thing that we do with our money. We are, like the Israelites, to give our first fruits. And again, this is not an amount conversation. This is actually about priority, right? Where does God stand in terms of importance in our lives as proven by our spending? Is God second right after our house is paid for? Or is God third because, you know, our car is really essential to us? Or is God somewhere way down the list just after our Spotify and Netflix subscriptions? Right? What does my spending, what does your spending say about how much we value God and being a part of his work in the world? I heard someone say recently, if, if, you're, if you're giving to God last, your budget is upside down. Right? You see, and giving first isn't simply about priority, right? It's not simply about worship, but it's about trust as well, right? When we give God our last, right? So if, if, if I give to God last, what I'm doing is I'm actually trusting in myself to provide for my own needs, right? I'm putting my trust in my paycheck. I'm putting my trust in me. And then whatever I have left after I've comfortably taken care of myself, then God can have it. But when we give God our first, when we start on ourselves with only the 90%, for example, rather than 100 because our tithe is already gone, Well, at that point, we are trusting that God will take care of us with the 90% or whatever it is for you. We're saying that the 90% of our paycheck is enough when we put our trust in God, right? Giving first puts us in a position to let go, to release our worry and put our hope in the one who holds the entire world in his hand. And Jesus himself encourages us in this way. Matthew 6, 25 to 26. 
He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? This is a wonderful promise. God loves you and will take care of you, and you cannot outgive God. Think about that. You cannot outgive God. You will never hit a place where God goes, they just gave too much this month. There's nothing I can do. Right? I just don't have the resources to take care of them right now. Right? We give first because we love God. And we give first because we trust God. And as we do this, we will learn to trust and love him even more. The third principle of faithful giving is that faithful giving is intentional. Right? Faithful giving is intentional. Friends, we don't accidentally trust in God. We don't accidentally worship God. We don't accidentally honor God with our money, and we don't accidentally participate in what God is doing. Giving faithfully is an intentional act to choose to trust God, to choose to worship God with our first fruits, to choose to participate in the kingdom by giving consistently and purposefully. Faithful giving is not simply giving when we feel like it or when we hear of a cause that we want to support or if the monthly outreach offering is compelling enough or when a cause connects with us emotionally. Now, I encourage you, when a cause does connect with you emotionally, by all means, give. But this is a special offering, right? Remember that? Something extra beyond what you give regularly, no matter what you feel. Because giving faithfully is not dependent on your feelings. In the same way that commitment to a spouse is not dependent on how you may feel any given day, Giving faithfully is a commitment regardless of how I feel. I'm committing to God that I will give my first to him no matter what. Which is why personally, uh, I like giving through automatic withdrawal. Now, I know a lot of people are like, I don't like that. But for me, I like giving through automatic withdrawal because when I give that way, it's actually not in my hands anymore, right? I can't change my mind. I can't forget or bail out, right? How I feel about the worship set last week or how I feel about the upcoming repairs on my home do not influence the fact that I've committed to give. Now, on the flip side, I know there are others who love to give physically because for them it feels more intentional, right? To hand over cash or to write a check or to physically click donate on the web form, right? So that they're going through the process of giving, right? Either way, right? The form doesn't matter. But what matters is the intentionality that that you've intentionally decided to give in a way that is consistent and committed and not simply whimsical or compulsive, and the fourth principle is that faithful giving is sacrificial. Right? Faithful giving is consistent, it is primary, it is intentional, and it's sacrificial. And here's where we get into that amount conversation again. And again, no amount or number 
is mandated. If you want to use the 10% tabernacle tithe in the Old Testament, great. If you want to use the 23.3% actual giving in the Old Testament, fantastic. If you have settled on a different number, whether that is lower or higher, it doesn't matter. But whatever the number is should not be inconsequential to you. Okay, Whatever the number is should not be inconsequential to you. There's an account in 2 Samuel 24 where King David sets out at God's request to build an altar to the Lord where he can make some sacrificial offerings. However, neither the land nor the oxen for the sacrifice were were his own. And so David offers to buy the land from the owner as well as the animals for the sacrifice. But the owner, now you and I would probably do the same because this is the king coming and saying, hey, I want to use your land. Um, but he, he goes, okay, king, actually, um, let me provide you with the land. Don't, you don't owe me anything. Um, I'll give you the land, and, and here's some oxen to make the sacrifice. And so, so this man initially refuses payment from David. But I love the way that David responds to this. David replies in 2 Samuel 24, 24. He says, no, I insist on paying for it. Now listen to this part. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so David insisted on paying for the land and the oxen before sacrificing them to the Lord. Did you hear David's heart here? I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. The nature of giving is sacrificial. It is sacrificing something. It is giving something up. Friends, I can't tell you the amount that the Lord is calling you to give to him, but there should be some form of sacrifice involved, right? Don't give to God that which costs you nothing. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about giving. He said, I do not believe that one can settle how much specifically we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Friends, to what extent are you saying no to things you would otherwise do if you didn't give of what you had to God? If you can't think of anything, if your life wouldn't be any different, perhaps it's time to rethink your giving. But as you figure out what God is calling you to give, whatever that percentage is, whatever that dollar is, if it's 1% to 100%, if it's $1 to thousands of dollars, as you prayerfully discern this, ask yourself this question. Am I giving sacrificially or am I just giving? And how can I give in a way that forces me to trust God and reminds me that he is more important than what it is that I'm giving up? Now, church, I know that this has been a heavy message, right? Short on jokes, I feel it too, right? 
and even encouraging promises, which I promise we will get to next week. Next week will be lighter in the room. It'll be fun, so tell your friends. (laughs) Perhaps today you've even felt uncomfortable along the way, or you've thought maybe, you know, all of this is none of my business. But I think feeling uncomfortable is okay. I think when we dig into scriptures meaningfully, we should feel a little uneasy as we're confronted with the scriptures and we're asked to hold them up to our own lives. But please understand, church, as I said last week, this is not meant to be a downer. It is meant to be challenging. But giving is not a chore, right? It's an opportunity to worship God to trust in him, to participate in what he is doing in the world, right? Giving is not an obligation. It's an opportunity. See, God doesn't need our money, right? But in his kindness, he invites us to be involved in the greatest story ever told. What an exciting opportunity that I hope we all, if we're not already, can find incredible joy in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, creator of all things, owner of everything, we thank you for what you have given to us. And we thank you for your invitation to join you in what you are doing in the world. Help us be people who give back to you even a fraction of what you have given us. And God, for those here who do already give consistently, who give first, who give intentionally and sacrificially, I pray that they would be encouraged as you are glorified through their obedience. And for those who don't just yet, I pray that today would be a wonderful first step into a lifelong discipline of faithful giving for your name's sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.